Good evening and welcome. I'm Dan Camilleri. And I'm Laura McKillop. Uh, thanks to um, Enduro High Energy Food for Working Dogs with Real Kangaroo Meat for bringing us our live Q&A today. Tonight we are lucky enough to be speaking with Gary White from White's Kelpie Stud who will be picking what he thinks is the best from best question from our live viewers and they'll win a bag of Enduro Plus. Hi Gary, how are you going? Very well, thank you. Bit nervous, good. <laughs> All good, mate. I will uh, settle your nerves there, mate. Tell us a bit about yourself, your family, where you're from, what you do. Uh, well, um, I'm married to Angie for over 30 years now. That's a bloody long time. It's been good. Please. We've got three That's three life. children. Three children. That's a life sentence. All, um, sorry? That's a life sentence, 30 years. Yeah, no, it's been good. Uh, we've got three kids have all flown the coop. Um, so it's just Angie and I at home at the moment. Um, from Ningen, New South Wales, which is sort of roughly about in the middle of New South Wales. Uh, lived out here all my life, sort of. Dad's always been on the land. I was always on the land, sort of. Dad was managing properties. Um, I sort of always had a love of dogs and you know sort of i grew grew up around dogs and working on the land and then i sort of worked on different places for a little while and then about 20 something years ago i went into stock contracting and when i say stock contracting these days i'm only working for about two or three different people all year round and that's sort of the year gone and just do a fair few schools around the place overseas around australia wherever um and that's about it my story did you have a you said growing up with your dad always had dogs around was there ever an option not to like dogs um no because well i always loved them for a start but um where where i grew up at it was very very remote for a long time and um you know, there was no such things as TV or whatever. You listen to the radio sometimes, but my brother and I, my sister and that, were outdoor kids. And from the time it was daylight or whatever, when you got up, you sort of, you were outside the whole time. And any time we come back inside, we'd get a drink or something to eat. And um, I got to I even say, think I even knew what a TV was before I was 12 year old. So um, okay. we, we absolutely, well, I used to absolutely love the pups and I used to spend a lot of my times down playing with the pups and I used to love going around with Dad. Like, I think, I, if you know what the term is, I was his tar boy when he, in those days, I were, um, he'd, he'd go out in the paddock and when the fly was getting into the sheep, he'd send his dogs around and just hold the sheep up in the middle of the paddock somewhere with three or four dogs and he'd race in and grab one you know, could it be fly blowing and I'd have to run over the dip when he caught it. And, you know, that was some of my earliest um, childhood memories and, you know, shearing time, whatever. I just love being down at the shearing shed or in the sheep yards or cattle yards, whatever. Uh, as I grew up <laughs> going to school, I seemed to miss the bus a few times <laughs> when it was shearing time or when there was any cattle work on. I just absolutely loved it. And um like i always had a dog of my own and when even from when i was tiny um i had a dog of my own that i'd go down the yards with and um 
try to work it and whatever not very successfully but anyway i thought it was mine and but any anything that was really good that i picked sort of dad ended up sort of if it was good enough to trial he'd take it and <laughs> he'd put it on the <laughs> trial ground let me work it. So anyway it was good how, how many did you try to hold back and tell him no no good so you could keep them <laughs> oh yeah no not too many like i say i when i was when I was young, after about 10 years old, I, I converted to horses. I loved riding horses and jumping and whatever. And until I, oh, I don't know, about 24 years of old or something, I had a, a bit of an accident of a horse off a horse jumping and was in hospital for a fair while and didn't work for a year and that. And then uh, during that time, um, I sort of, I was being quite successful but a few of my friends that are very successful eventing riders a bloke called philip dutton he just competed in his seventh straight olympics and he was oh, yeah. up with, we were we were best friends and whatever and in that time when i was in hospital and that um bloke called matty ryan also um he moved over to england philip moved to america over at pennsylvania and when I when I came back, I rode horses for a while, but I sold them a couple of good horses and then started on young ones. But then uh, I started weaning myself off the horses and started um, started trialing. And um, I sort of well, it, it just suited so much better because I was working, always working on the land, so my dogs were part of my life anywhere, anyway. And with the horses, I was finding I was having to work two horses before work, two horses after work, and it was becoming a chore. Not yep. um, I always still loved competing and going away, but the grind during the week it was becoming a job, not a um, something that I got a lot of pleasure out of in the end. So, and I, anyone who's been to any of my schools, I always say that the dogs are always, never, ever going to be a chore to me. So, yeah. um, if I want to train them. I'll go and train them, but yeah, there's no pressure on um, working them all week most of the time. So um, if I don't want to train them to win a blue ribbon, it doesn't worry me. I'm sort of not. Oh, I love to. I love to win the blue ribbon, but it's not going to get me out there training them five days a week or even one day a week. Yeah, on the weekend, yes, but not not during the week. Happy if you want to train yours to win red ribbons and a couple of mine to win blues, mate. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I've got plenty of I've got plenty of reds and whites and whatever other colours too, mate. But um, yeah, it's all fun, all fun. Not about the ribbon either, is it, mate? It's just about getting out there and having a crack, right? Yeah, no, it's just sort of meeting up with like-minded people, and yeah. um, like I say, we all go to the trials sort of hoping we can win or do really well, and our dogs work well. And I personally want to go there and not let my dog down because uh, in my earlier days, I I lost a couple of big trials, you know, nationals because of mistakes I made. One thing the dog did, it was me. So I I go to a trial now and sort of try to not let my dog down so much. Um, and you know, to me, trialing, like I say, you want to go there and win or whatever, but um, it's a night around the campfires, I call them BB nights, beer and bullshit nights. <laughs> so, so that's what, yeah, I have a lot of fun doing that, as you well know. Yeah, no, no, I, that's the personal thing I take away from it is that camaraderie, you know, like, like you said, it's nice to go out and do well, but just getting out with like minded people that become some of your best mates and you know, just getting away and sucking in some fresh air and having a look at some 
some flames. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's you know life. So I don't, to tell you the truth, I don't see a lot of other people during the week in that because I basically work by myself, and that doesn't worry me at all. I like it that way. But um, you know, getting getting away to a dog trial now is that's my social scene sort of thing. Now the kids have all gone and you're not continually going to things that they're connected with. But um, so yeah, I just like as you know, buddy. Um, a lot of we gain a lot of really, really good friends out of this, so it you know, becomes your lifestyle a bit. 100%. Um, what would your job look like without dogs these days? What would my life look like? Yeah, oh, well, your job. Like, in your job mostly, but yeah. your life as well. Oh, well, I'll start with my life. Well, now that the footy's over, it'd be, <laughs> it'd be damn, damn boring, but um. <laughs> Yeah, no, look, I couldn't do my job without my dogs, simply, you know, because um, they do all the hard work. Um, I just sort of guide them along, point them in the right direction and sort of open a few gates and, you know, of course, you've got to help them out again. But, um, yeah, and see, I'm putting on a bit of weight, but um, the old saying is you never, ever buy a dog off a skinny bloke. The, the camera puts on 10 pounds, mate. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, but you know, in, in that saying, you know, the, like yep. the skinny Blake, he's doing all the work and his dogs are doing no work. I'll have to, I'll have to remember that one, mate. I'll have to remember yeah. it. And, and tell us a bit about your team, mate. Has the style and type of dog um, you have in your team now differ much from where your old, your old boy had it? And, and if so, like, what's influenced that? Oh, look, it hasn't changed that much. I'm... I'm a bit of a traditionalist for good paddock dogs and dogs that head correctly uh, and have got feel on their stock and a bit of brains and whatever. That much has really not changed in, like, Dad, that came from my father. Uh, a lot of the country he worked on was tough country and you had to have a paddock dog to get them out of scrub or whatever. They had to, couldn't have a basher or a crasher or whatever because... You just wouldn't get the job done, and I, you know, I know it's horses for courses, but um, you know, your you, your main job was actually getting the sheep in out of their paddocks and whatever. And it's you know, a lot of the country's opened up now, and that for farming and other things. But um, you know, it's out, out in marginal, even sort of where we were was even marginal stock country. You know, it was feral goat country and red gravel hills and gullies and, you know, mainly sort of flat country. But, yeah, if your dog and, – and because it was marginal country, your stock were, you know, very rarely, except exceptional seasons, um, not in great order. So if you had a dog that, you know, wanted to push too much or didn't have any brains or didn't have any feel on stock, you were, you were lying them down all the time. So, I, you know, I remember as a kid, you know, Dad had put me out behind uh, when we were shearing time – he put me out behind a mob of sheep with a couple of his dogs and and just leave me and he'd disappear for an hour, you know, checking the rest of the paddock out or whatever. So I sort of I sort of learned back then if you put on too much pressure, you weren't going to get after stock in the yard because they'll be lying yeah. down or whatever. So uh, yeah, I'd be I'd be no good without my dogs, mate. That's cool. And what what are you looking or what are you, what are you breeding for when, when you're looking at joining something oh well first and foremost i i don't like a dog that can't handle the job properly outside um 
I, I find they're a rarity, especially in Kelpies, because I hope I don't upset anyone here, but bloody, I find most of the Kelpies these days are bred for yard yard type work. Um, you know, just sort of not so much bash and crash it used to be, but now it's sort of a lot more feel coming into it even in the yard. But uh, yeah, I, I want to I want a dog that can work outside properly and and do the job properly outside, and then you know in the yard that I can. I can draft by myself or drench or whatever and and yeah they still have enough natural ability and whatever in the yard to do the job for me which you know they do so um i'm not sort of sort of um i i haven't really tried to change what i what i started off with or what dad handed down to me really um, yeah dad dad still has a huge interest in the start like um hasn't been able to lately but before COVID or whatever every saturday morning if he thought knew i wasn't working or something he'd be ringing up and or he'd just lob out and watch me train a few dogs and tell me what i'm doing wrong or tell me which dog was bad and which dog was good and he's still yep. got a pretty pretty good sharp eye for a dog too and he, he's been a man his whole life that's had an absolute passion for dogs um he just just loves them he still acts actually rares the odd litter of pups for me and he's he's 89 in about two weeks time and he um yeah he loves doing that and he he absolutely loves dogs still oh that's awesome did um did you ever go outside and try some other stuff and then gravitate back to your own like to see what's about or you've always been pretty happy with with what you've had oh always oh. trying to improve always trying to improve but and my problem is I love heading dogs and and dogs with a bit of feel. And to, to be honest, I find I don't see going around the trials or whatever. I see very very few dogs that have that do actually kelpie that do actually head correct. And um, and then when they do head correctly, hold their ground and still got enough um, presence and whatever to to do the job. And um, you know, like a pretty handy casting dog and whatever, but um, I honestly don't see too many dogs that I really want to go to. But I have recently because I was getting a bit close in my lines and whatever. I, yep. I, I went to a few outside dogs, but now I'll come back inside and um, try to try to keep my eyes out. Yeah, awesome. You mentioned um, feel there before. What's feel to you? Like how would you oh, it's, define it? It's just a it's just a dog's ability to know when to put pressure on and when to take it off. It's sort of um, well, it's it's yeah, exactly what I said. It's just when to put pressure on and when to take it off. Like um, just to have stock um, reacting to it nicely, so it's not laying sheep down or whatever or chasing them around the paddock or putting too much pressure on and then the ability on the other side of the coin to put that pressure on when it's needed and the good dogs do know how to do it and it's a funny thing that um oh, on the trial ground anyway these dogs have got a bit of feel and that like you walk around the ground and say oh so and so he got good sheep again that dog got good sheep again <laughs> uh, oh he's lucky so lucky but you know the good dogs make their own luck and um the ordinary ordinary dogs miss out on that luck too so um yeah it's a it's a 
funny thing, but everyone everyone does. It's a case of horses for courses because my dogs suit my area. Um, yep. Where if somebody else's dogs down in another area will suit them for what they want, and that's what it should be. Um, I'm not breeding dogs for people in other areas or whatever. I'm breeding dogs for my situation, and if anyone else likes them, that's yeah, well and good. But I'm breeding for myself, sort of um, what 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 my situation is. So. I think that's an important point too, like um, breeding dogs for you to suit yourself and if somebody likes them, that's great because if you're trying to breed dogs to suit someone else, I suppose you kind of lose that passion in what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, you're exactly right. Sort of, um, It's no sense in me trying to follow fads or whatever like that. It's sort of I've got to follow what I want and what I like and what suits me. So... You know, if I'm chasing the money or whatever, yeah, you chase your tail around all the time. Um, so, you know, I, I've been lucky, sort of. I've had two great mentors. I've had a lot of mentors. I've learned a lot of different things off a lot of different people. But um, my father, like he's most patient, sort of passionate, kind man to stock and dogs. And um, one of the biggest things he always taught me was you never force anything like yeah. he just wasn't talking about stock or dogs or whatever he was talking you never force anything because if you force something you break it and that's so true with dogs or whatever you force it if your training method is actually forcing dogs to do something you might get them to do it but you're only getting about 60 or 70 percent out of them and um so you know you want 100 percent of your dog don't you not not just a part of your dog so, yeah, like I say, he was a very, he always looked on the um, the good side of dogs. I was sort of a little bit the other side. I could see their faults a bit more. And he always focused on what they were great at and what they were good at. And he was the same with humans too. He um, always, always saw the good side of every person. Never saw the bad side of any person. And um, I, I can be a little bit more critical. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> so I was very lucky. I was very lucky with you know, his mentorship and um, you know, he's still got more to teach me yet, I, I, I know. Well, that's awesome, mate. It's a good quality to have too. Yeah, for sure. We've just had a question come in from Wayne McMillan. Gary, do you like calm, steady temperament in your dogs? Um, ideally, yes. But at the same time, I'm not going to condemn a dog that's um, not so calm but still does the do does the job. Um, I got I got one dog there who you wouldn't say was calm, but by crikey, not not many stock bot beat him or anything, or he's been hugely successful. But um, yeah, yeah. Now look, I, I probably would prefer that. Doesn't mean I'm going to condemn a dog capable of doing the job in another manner. And Gary, um, Wayne also added, do you have a preference in colour? Oh, I've got licorice all sorts, really. I've got black and tan, red and tan. I've got a couple of blues. I've got saddlebacks. Um, no, a good dog. Good dog's a good dog. Good it's, dog? It's the old saying, good dog's any colour. Another question here from Bree Cudmore. Having a years of experience, all the travel you've done, what are some positive changes in dogs, trainers or trials that you've seen over the years? Sorry, you cut out there. Oh, that's all right. Um, from Bree Cudmore, 
Having the years of experience and all the travel you've done, what are some positive changes in dogs, trainers or trials that you have seen over the years? Um, look, since I've been trialling, I think the standard of the younger people, and Bree's one of them, um, has skyrocketed. Uh, very rarely you see out in the ground now dogs out of control. Um, a lot of these young people come in, have got good control, they've got their, their, they're just good handlers, got good dogs. Um, so I think, I, think, I think the standard has actually risen, I'm sure of it. Um, I think a lot of the reason for that is there is so much access to schools and training and um, it's just like everything else, every other sport, whatever you're doing has got more professional and dogs, dog trialling is the same. Uh, dog trialling, look, it hasn't changed um, the format of that much. You know, there's these new USD trials, you know, cattle, sheep and yard, arena, whatever. Uh, apart from that, there's really not much changed for a long time. Like well, yard dog trialling hasn't been around for a great, great deal of time. But um, I think the old people, yeah, you know, those courses and that were designed to show up the strengths and weaknesses of dogs, especially out in the three sheep course or utility courses or whatever. And uh, you, you know, some people said, "Oh, yeah, you don't put three sheep through a." Um, you know, through two panels out in the middle of the paddock. And that's not what they're designed for. They're designed to show up the dog's weaknesses, dog's feel, the handler's handler's ability, the, you know, dog's temperament, the dog's, yeah, it's um, it's not the point. Like, they're designed, I always hear these people say, oh, we're going to design a new course and whatever, and you'll still get, I guarantee you, I've seen a few um, courses changed over the years and whatever, and you still get exactly the same dogs and adapt the same people up the top. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just a general, generally the standard has gone up that much in thing. I think, I even think that the dogs, uh, this might be controversial, but I think even the dogs of, um, uh, I think the dog will, in the three sheep arena, I think the dogs have been more purpose bred now for three sheep trialing. Um, I know when I first started in that, that and most people even in the collie world were coming, you know, people off the land just coming in on the weekend or Thursday, Friday and whatever, giving their dogs uh, a run. And, you know, they were all people off the land. And I, But I, I do think the collies are probably a bit more purpose-bred now. Where yeah. I, think, I think the collies, um, the kelpies, you know, in the yards and the utility trials and that, I think they've become a lot better outside than what they used to be. You see the old National Kelpie um, videos back from 20, 30 years ago, and, uh, well, I don't think they were the standard outside that they are today. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, I think they were every bit as good in the yard and back then, but um, I think everything's got more professional and better trained, and dogs have been better trained. I was just going to ask, do you think that's the level of control that, more people have rather than a selected few yeah it's over a um, wider wider base there's there's you know i'd say 20 30 years ago maybe not that i was around 30 years ago but um you could pick you know four or five people who were going to win or three or four or whatever but um now i think you can just about go to any event and it's you know maybe 15 people could win so yeah, yeah just a wider base of people being able to train their dogs and and well-trained dogs and um, 
So, yeah. Um, talking about, like, I haven't mentioned him, but Greg Prince, like, he's a, he's the godfather of, I think, of training in Australia and dog trialling and all dogs. And um, I, it's funny, I've watched all these um, these interviews, every one of them, and just about everyone has mentioned Greg so far. And I can see, you know, I spent a fair bit of time with Greg and um, with more... Not so much in a training sense, but more in a mate, sort of having a few beers and stirring each other up and, you know, just playing around or whatever. But um, I, I, even on Facebook and that, I hear all this language and the way people are putting things. And then I say, well, that's come from Greg. It's just people using it in, in a different um, sentence, whatever. But he's, yep. his methods are, his methods are being, well, they're being taught all around the world. Um, and and you know there's not many people in australia that don't really have a basis from what even though they might think so that don't have a have a basis from what greg's brought along and yeah. uh, he was he was just a genius um there's, there's only only one fellow that i know that's sort of doing things a fair bit different that's doing schools or whatever and that's um jakey nolan but even his even his basics and a lot of his methods are still very, very similar, very similar. Yeah. And then you mentioned there about um, stirring people up and, you know, a bit of camaraderie in that. Um, Ollie Anson has asked, um, who is the biggest <laughs> pest on the trial scene and why do you pick Daniel Pumper? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, well, well, no, I don't know if pump, Pumper is. There's a lot of them, actually. Uh, I'm talking about pests, but bloody, a bloke messaged me about four times a day and asked if I could give him a cheerio. Chris Egan, hello, mate. How are you going? <laughs> so, so um, no, there's a lot of pests. Oh, there's a bloke called Mark Curry too. Um, <laughs> I think you two met him at Ningen last year, and he can be a bit of a pest, when he, especially when when he wins the nursery and has a few beers. So, um, yeah. I, I, I've nicknamed him the Corinda Pest. So, um, I think it was there you go. And, and there's the banter, the hooking little boys for a bit. So. <laughs> Mate, um, talking about you know training and what you do there. How, how do you go about selecting a pup? Um, how do I select a pup? Usually, it's um, everyone else comes and has their choice. If they, I try to keep two out of a litter. Everyone else that's buying a pup comes in and grabs their pups, and I've got the two left. Yeah. Oh, okay. I got no magic formula or whatever. Um, I yeah, and I, I honestly don't know anyone that has. But um, yeah, I, I I don't know how to pick the best one. A lot of them, oh, a few of the ones I've got is ones that Dad's selected too. I think he's got a lot of be lot better eye for a pup than I have anyway. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, who do you think the most influential dogs in your lines, and um, why? What made them special? Oh, geez. Um, oh, well, I had a really, really good dog, White's Tex. He was, um, he, he, well, he was very good, actually. I, I, He used to more than hold his own on the three sheep ground against the collies, actually, and I used to come off and all the collie fellas So you must, he, that girl, he must have a fair bit of collie in him. <laughs> but anyway. Big no, white chest, really... give that away. Sorry? Big white chest, give that away. No, he had no white in <laughs> all, except in his prefix, that's all. Yeah. Uh, no, he was just a brilliant heading, holding dog that was, um, the wilder the sheep were, the better he performed. Um, and back in those days, I sort of wouldn't train my dogs much or I think I was just working on the, 
on the land all week and um yeah he 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 was a really good dog but the interesting thing is that he's he, he probably only he, he he was a dog with feel and he had stock sense and whatever he i i i actually took him to a couple of um i, I think he competed in two australian yard dog championships and he came a fourth and a seventh and yeah. um back in those days they were you know yard dogs were banging and clanging and whatever and but he done it he done it the opposite way he just did it with stock work and um stock sense and whatever and used to do it and um yeah like a, i wasn't breeding many like dad was breeding the dogs back then i was just having a good time and um he probably only got joined to six bitches but um coming down from him just in the national kelpie trial and utility trials he's sort of in the last seven or eight years he's sort of he's had a, from his line whether he's been father or grandfather or whatever he's probably had two or three at least in the final every time yeah. um and I think at Ningen there, I think he had, he was the father or the grandfather of seven dogs there in the, out of the top 10. And um, yeah, so, but like I say, he, he hardly ever got used as a sire or anything. And I wasn't a breeder. I was, I was just having a good time doing a bit of trialing. And um, so, sort of all my, my lines come down from him really. And, and um, yeah, so. He's probably been the most influ influential there. Yeah, mate. Um, Dave Brassler has asked, um, mate, when you're going out to train dogs, what's the one thing you must have with you? Um, what's the you've got to be in a good mood if you. If <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you got to want to do it. Like I touched on earlier, if you don't want to do it, don't go and do it because you're just gonna you're just gonna blow up your dog and yourself back six six um six months in training or you can completely bugger their confidence like confidence is everything with a dog just like children um if your dog's not confident and they if you bust their confidence you yeah you're in for trouble so it brings confidence 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 yep um question so. here from will cox when it comes to progression do you ever feel that your younger bred dogs have progressed in a way um from the older bread lines sorry repeat that again uh when it comes to progression do you ever feel that your younger bred dogs have progressed um away from the older bread lines uh yes they've changed we asked this question a bit that my dogs are sort of they're not quite as true as they used to be because i've i have with the outside dogs or something um they have been slightly more yardy and I've lost that I haven't lost it but they're not quite as good as what they were to be true outside and to tell you the truth I don't know from those crosses I don't know that I've picked up any more yard and in fact I I've, I might have lost a bit of yard in fact yeah no cool mate and um we've had a couple of questions here start to go on towards training I suppose so um, I'll start you with a quick one first is uh, can you briefly touch on your training principles and how they've been developed? Um, training principles. Look, I, I just think you, I don't know, I just think you've got to keep things simple. Um, don't overthink things. Um, just common sense and go out there and, you know, um, it's not rocket science. There's no secrets. Just go out there, keep it simple. Don't overthink things. Um, 
one thing that I do try to adhere to is I, I find the hardest thing in training a dog is um, letting them grow up. I, the hardest part of training a dog is getting them up to 12 months. Yeah. Because uh, I see that many young dogs and whatever push too hard while they're young and busted and either got rid of or given away or whatever. And so I... I I don't do that much. I, once I've got the instinct out, I um, I just I balance them up and just keep on socialising them and giving them different, you know, jobs, little jobs on training sheep or whatever, on 20 or 30 or 5 or 10 or different little things, just progress their mind going. And when I judge they're actually ready to be trained, that's, you know, that's generally around... They're all different. Some might be ten months, some might be thirteen months, some might be fourteen months. But when I when I judge they're ready to be trained, that's when I start training them. But before then, I all I'm doing virtually is balancing them. I I don't. It's bad it's because I'm too lazy, or whatever. But my dogs hardly even know their name until they're about eleven or twelve months old. Until I start taking them to work, I don't take them to work until I've got a bit of a stop and a call on them and that. And that's yeah. You know, 12, 13, 14 months. And what are you seeing in those 10, 11 month old dogs to judge that they're ready to do something with? Their attitude, I suppose. I've been asked this question a heap of times, but um, it's something I can't explain. It's just something I've learned to pick up on them that they're ready to be trained. I suppose I might get them out and then I might put a little bit of pressure on or do something and they might show me, yeah, right, we're ready to go. So, um, yeah, it's a hard thing. to. I, I can't really explain it, to tell you the truth. But, um, yeah, just keep things simple. Don't overthink things. Um, just try to point your dog in the for first 12 months. Just point, point him in the right direction, really. Um, and just help them out and keep their confidence because once their confidence is gone, you've got nothing at all. So you're looking at the way that they react in body language to you, um, um, and the confidence they show when you're moving around and how they're moving around you and them kind of accepting you? Uh, yeah, ready to work with you, but I suppose um, they'll show that at a younger age too, but um, sometimes sometimes dogs, yeah, aren't ready to put a bit of pressure on until a bit later, but, uh, you know, I don't want a dog that sort of can't take any pressure at all from a young dog or whatever, but those they, they sort of dogs, if, I, if I've got them, I sort of, they get out of the cage very rarely and then um, and then I don't do much with them, just, you know, let them, let them have their way and whatever and, and show them sheep, you know, probably once every six weeks ever. and then I have seen them change, you know, 13 or 14 months sometimes, it, you know, they just change completely. Um, kids yeah. change. I've done a bit of football coaching and whatever, and um, you know I've, I've seen I've seen kids that when they were young, you know, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve year old, they were absolutely bloody hopeless, and um, I've seen that say the same kids at sixteen, seventeen, and eighteen become champions, and um, so you can't. That's what I say. I, I it's hard to judge a dog real early, but. Um, in saying that, just about every good dog I've had, I've known it's been a pretty good dog at four or five months of age. Yeah. What? So, what did it, you, you go. go. You go. I was going to say, what did it show at that age that you liked about it? Uh, probably getting to the, round to the front of the mob. Uh, or position of control. 
getting to the position of control properly and holding that position. Um, yep. And it's just showing feel and stock sense, uh, not a chaser. I, you know, another another saying I have: I, I want a dog that works sheep. I don't want a dog that chases sheep or stock, whatever cattle, whatever we're working. I want I want the dog to be to be working them, not chasing them. And um, so that dog that gets around to the point of control and pulls up and just calms everything down, but still holds those sheep and holds them properly. Um, well, that's showing a fair bit of what I like. And if they get around there properly and whatever, you know, they're going to be handy, handy casting dogs properly and they're not going to shoot across the shoulder or across under the neck or whatever. They're going to get around to the head properly in that position and then pull up. So yeah. that's it's all comes down to feel and, um, you know, a dog dog working correctly. Um, so there's a question here from Bob Kerfoot. Are there any preferred training videos that you recommend for first-time sheepdog owners? Um, I haven't been a real big video watcher. Of course, I like Greg's, but it really, to tell you the truth, wasn't a training video. It's very handy and whatever, but, yeah, there's a lot of good tips there. But, um, look, I'm a bit unqualified to actually actually answer that one because i sort of haven't really watched a lot of them but i'm sure there is there'd be there'd be heaps out there if you look for them no and if you're there bob there's um if you jump on the stockdogs.com.au there's a few different videos there um available from uh, different handlers throughout the country mate. so they'll be restocked again soon in the next couple of days so you can get on there yeah. and see if there's something yeah. to suit you um just oh, saying okay. you go just just in saying that, um, Ian O'Connell, who you had on last week, I haven't watched it, but I've heard three or four or more than that say it is a very good um, video mm -hmm. on training training dogs, even though I haven't watched it, but I'll have to now. <laughs> Amanda Dunbar here is asking, how do you build confidence in a dog that is keen but rushes in corners and hasn't got the intimidation to move sheep when they're locked up? Um... Confidence comes right from the very, very, very time you put them in there and um, your body positioning and that rushing into corners is one of the classic cases of a dog that's lost confidence or that job is too, that dog's not ready for that. Um, that's why I'm a bit of a student of the round yard. It uh, doesn't have to be a round yard. It can be just a square yard with a panel across each corner. Um, because what happens when sheep get into a corner, what do we do? We get behind them or whatever. We put our body pressure on them to for that dog to go into the corner, pressure on the dog by barking, biting, or just lying down or quitting. So we've got we've got to get them... It's, yes, once again, that word, we've got to get them sort of getting around sheep without us putting that much pressure on them that they feel it. And then when they feel our pressure and we put more and more pressure on them, that's when they lose confidence. It's exactly when they do lose confidence. So um, I, I always, you know, in that situation, I, I set it up so the dog's going to have a win. So 
instead of me trying to push that dog into the corner and putting a lot of pressure on it, I'll just put that, I'll catch that dog and I'll get those sheep out of the corner myself with the dog. And when the dog has a chance to actually get around between the fence and the sheep, I'll let that dog do it and hopefully it takes that chance. So yep. we're trying to trying to train a dog um, without pressure. We're just putting our pressure in certain positions so that dog, we're not making the dog's mind up for them. We're just putting pressure in a cert, certain situation where it's got time to react to that pressure and then go the other way. So we're not forcing it. And that's where I think a lot of pre a lot of mistakes are made where dogs are over pressured because uh, same thing like I, I'm a rake enthusiast and if you good old Facebook and that a lot of people say oh bloody rake and you know whatever and chasing a chasing a <laughs> chasing a, a pup around the um, round yard with a rake it's not what you're doing at all if you're doing it correctly it's just putting yeah. pressure in a certain spot and and people who say that about the rake are obviously using to me i'm being controversial again here yeah. people who are making that comment aren't using it in the right way it should be probably probably got broken rakes all around the yard yeah i, I when i do my schools and that um yeah always not me but there's always a broken rake or two <laughs> yeah uh, and um what you just described there, I suppose Belinda Halliwell's asked something similar, uh, but she's asked if you had the sheep in the in a pen in the middle, would that help to get a sticky eyed dog to get around them? And yeah, free it yeah. Up? yeah, for sure. For sure. You've got to sort of those sticky eyed dogs, you want to keep them moving all the time. Every every time they stop, move them off their position. You put your position in a your you put your presence in a different spot so that dog moves straight away and um it's the opposite for a dog that's too loose eyed um if they do pick up that point and want to stop or something you, you let them stop there for a while and yeah know that they can actually stop there for a while so it's just opposite with a sticky eyed dog to a loose eyed dog yep um and i'll just quick uh hello to our friends in the netherlands there uh watching us tonight hope you're not sure what time or day it is over there so hope you're enjoying uh our conversation. So your training is taking you all over the world. Can you explain your self satisfaction you get from doing them? Yeah, well, yeah. look, schools sort of all together. Schools were actually something that I sort of fell into. I sort of um, first one I ever did was over in America in 1999, and and um, these people, Vern and Susan Thorpe from Iowa, they were copy enthusiasts and. They had a thing going over there. They called the Australian Fund, and they used to get an Australian um, person over there every year to run a school. And Greg Prince had been over there. Chris Stapleton had been over there. Dad had been over there. I uh, can't remember. Anyway, they invited me because they'd been over here and whatever, and I'd spent a few hours with them. And I said, I can't do this. You know, the first time I'd ever done a school. And my wife, Angie, said, yeah, you're doing it. And <laughs> we did. So <laughs> anyway... Anyway, since then, it's grown and grown and grown. And, you know, I've, I've been lucky. Well, Angie and I have been lucky enough to go overseas. We've got great friends in um, America and Canada and Finland, Germany, whatever. We've been really lucky. And hopefully next year we'll be overseas a couple of times again next year. But, um, yeah, we've just been so lucky. And it's, um, it's good to meet people all around the world, you know, that's interested in dogs and... Um, 
uh, I see some different dogs and whatever, but um, the basics are all the same and whatever. And so it's good. You know, we have a great time and we both love traveling. So travel during the week and do clinics on the weekends or whatever. And people are, people are just fantastic. Um, you know, like you go to America, you get looked after like a king and whatever. And, and so, yeah, it's great. I mean, like I said, we've got, we've got some very good friends in a lot of corners of the, different corners of the world. So is there anything you see um, in your schools that sort of um, believe most people are struggling with and is something that we could all fix? Uh, positioning, positioning, body positioning and body language, uh, where we position ourselves, where we stand, where we put the pressure on when we take it off. Um, it's... It's yeah, basically, and look, you, I, I've got to take my hat off. There's a lot of people come to schools and whatever that have no access to sheep every afternoon or whatever. Like I can stand on my back veranda and send a dog and have sheep here in two minutes. And um, I, I think you, those type of people haven't got access and whatever to stock. I yeah, really, really take my hats off to them. And um, it's very hard for them if they're not working stock all the time. Um, one of the hardest things I had to do when I started running schools was um, come sort of straight, come from ground zero and just not assume that people had worked with stock all their lives and had the opportunity to be with dogs and work stock. So I had to come right back to the very, 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 very basics and um, I had to appreciate sort of where they were coming from. And uh, But back to your question now, I think it was... Um, yeah, just basic positioning and when to put pressure on, when to put pressure off. Um, you're asking about my principles and that, like you've heard this said before, but the basic principles is, is really pressure on, pressure off. That's how much most animals are trained or whatever and um, too much pressure while you're training and that'll blow your dog's confidence and, and not enough pressure sometimes will... Um, let them run over the top of you. They, they've got to respect you. They have to respect you. And um, there's a fine line between respect and fear. They don't have to fear yeah. you. They've got to love you, but but they've got to respect you at the same time. Um, question here from Lance Clifford. Are you seeing many very correct dogs with strength suitable for three sheep trialling? One of his greatest regrets in starting the yard dog competition is that he has lost a few of the aforementioned dogs, or they are now much harder to find. Yes, they, yes, they most definitely are. They, um, that's why I say you asked me about, you know, outside size and whatever I find. Very hard to find that outside size purely in that because there's not many of them around anymore that are correct and what, what Lance is actually talking about. So have you seen any around lately? Um, when you're traveling around um, schools and stuff or not really? No, not really. Um, like I say, before I had a school, when anyone's coming in, I always ask the breeding, how old, what's the breeding, mother, father, whatever. And um, But like, this is only my preference. It's only what I want. It's what I want yep. in my situation. And like I say, it's horses for courses. Um, other people want other traits and attributes and whatever that I don't want. So, uh, yeah, this is just on a personal basis, that's all. Having seen so many dogs around, 
and so many handlers, you said that you ask for, you know, what the dog's breeding is at the beginning of a school. Do you, does that give you an indication sometimes of how to help that handler with that dog having previous experience with the lines? Oh, for sure, for sure, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, 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 I can, I can nearly pick a lot of the lines now without actually asking them. And um, it's so, it's interesting how strong, you know, like lines that are very prevalent, how they work. And, um, and it's funny talking about handlers too. Like you can, um, you can have a handler there with three or four dogs and all their dogs have got the same problems or they're good at the same thing. So, you know, it just shows you how much as a handler we're having an influence on the dogs. So, but yeah, no, I, I definitely, I can, I can nearly pick different lines and that when they come out. You mentioned earlier um, when we were talking about breeding and stuff, um, true outs, what do you mean by that? Um, they work correctly. They're not cutting in, they're not... They're not. They, they've got feel. They got. They they got stock sense. They got. You know, like you, you, probably the best way to describe it is like if you sent your dog out three or four or five hundred meters or whatever on three or four, you know, ten flighty sheep or something, they're going to handle it there by themselves and don't have to be told what to do down there. They got. They, they naturally got genetically what it's got to do that. And um, I any good dog I've ever had is sort of cast them down the bottom end or whatever and you leave it up to them because I've never been the greatest trainer in Australia or anything like that. Um, I, get, I, I go to these three sheep trials and even a couple of these young Kelpie fellas and whatever can move them one foot to the left and one foot to the right and whatever at 200 metres and whatever. Like, oh, I can't do that. I, my dogs have got to do that. Um, and um, so that's why that I'm looking. Sorry? Can you say that far? <laughs> I won't be able to soon. <laughs> hey, listen, it was like an old age home here before I had to change my shirt because I spilled half my tea on it. And... <laughs> <laughs> Time's coming. But with no you're saying there, you love that natural type that's fit, thinking for itself and you're educating your dog to work so you're not telling your dog what to do. Yeah, I'm just, I just want a dog that's sort of pointed in the right direction. Um, and because, like I say, I'm, I don't. I train a dog a hell of a lot more than I used to. You know, in the last three, four years, I've training dogs a lot more than I ever used to. And um, and before that, I, I, I just sort of was lucky enough, or was lucky enough. You know, Dad had it cemented in his lines enough that they did have natural ability. And Dad was a bloke who never even, yeah, really trained a dog at all we hardly even had to stop on him that he was just relying on their natural ability and um i remember greg prince and greg and dad were always pretty good friends and i always remember greg saying to him on i don't know how many occasions he said if you ever train those dogs john you'll go pretty well <laughs> and um he was pretty well right because you know dad was dad was selecting on dogs that sort of naturally did it and um it's a it's a new way of these young fellas these days um they are really training their dogs, and there's some really good trainers in there. But um, you know, I want a I want a dog that gets out there two or three hundred meters and can handle it themselves without me having to tell them what to do. And then I can only have a bit of an influence when they get up closer to me. <laughs> so anyway, 
So question here on that topic from Jacob Bryan. What are the most natural dogs you have or know of at the moment? Oh, jeez. Bloody hell. Um, well, I'd like to think, you know, I, I've, I've lost a little bit of that natural in there going going out, but I'd like to think most of my dogs that I keep are reasonably natural. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll give a rap to a dog here that, um, not, not one of mine actually, one of the natural, most natural dogs that's come along in a fair while at Kelpie line was Thunderbardy Buster. And um, he was a very, very natural dog and that, like, you know, I personally might criticise him for this or whatever, but there's no perfect dog and whatever, and that dog's record sort of um, proves, you know, he was he was natural. And um, he, yeah, he, he was just a really good natural dog. Um, you, you don't see the really, really good natural ones come along or... To tell you the truth, it might be a bit hard to see how natural they are because a lot of these dogs these days are trained to an absolute, you know, they're trained to a very high level and because they've got so much command on them that it's hard to see them if they're actually working naturally or not. So yeah. um, it's, you know, hard to gauge sometimes. Yeah. Uh, question here from Chris Egan. Does your dad still have any influence on the on your breeding now? Do you have similar views on dogs when you look to breeding? Hello, Chris again. I said hello to you. <laughs> um, look, yeah, no, we still like the same type of dog. There's no doubt about it. Still like the same type of dog. He, he comes, like I say, he comes out and you'll tell me whether he likes that dog or this dog or whatever. Um, he, um, yeah, we've still got largely the same views. He, um, he, yeah, tells me that one's no good or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Matt Fletcher has asked, um, do you have any exciting young pups coming through at the moment or something young that's grabbed your attention? No, I won't say I have because you go around a trial ground or you talk to somebody on the phone and everyone's got three or four brilliant pups <laughs> at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Best pup I've ever had. You know, you wait until you see this one and whatever. And and ninety five percent of those good young dogs or whatever, you never see them or hear from them at all. So I, I, it's all. I, if you're skiting up, yeah. Look, my father always told me in relationship the dogs or anyway in life, he says um, self praise is no praise. So I try yeah. to live by that. Okay. <laughs> and um, mentioned me before about um, at trial. Sometimes it is hard to see a natural type of, type of dog. You know, like because there's so much control. What are you personally looking for um, at, well, you do do a bit of trialling. What are you personally looking for in a dog when you're out there? Well, it comes back to nat natural ability and trainability. If they've got yep. natural ability and they can be trained, you've got most um, most bases covered, haven't you? Yeah. So if something runs a bit of a muck, but it seems to be in the right spot, do you necessarily, does that, that necessarily turn you off that dog a bit or... You know, it's, like it's not pulling up on every single whistle, but it's in a spot where the handler hasn't seen yet and the dog's got there before old mate can, or old girl can, um, can necessarily well, indicate where to be. I've never ever had a dog that doesn't disobey me more than it listens to me out in the trial ground, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Um, um, hopefully that changes a bit. But, um, yeah, no, look, I... 
I, I, I don't want a dog, if a dog's supposed to be in a certain position, I'm telling it to be somewhere else. I, I want that dog to override me and be in that position. He, they've been bred to work stock for how long? And sort of, they're quicker to breed stock than we are. So I, I just tend to trust them a bit more or maybe it might be I don't have control of them enough. But um, I'm not in favour of um, telling a dog to stop and... If sheep are running, busting out or running past him or whatever, I, you know, I couldn't stand a dog just sitting there while that was happening. Yep. Uh, I'd, 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 even if I'd be telling him to stop, I'd expect that dog to override me. Yeah, uh, that, that's important. And, um, yeah, I think that's a great thing rather than dog just sitting there and watching sheep run away, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, yeah. I, 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 like I, I'd want to... You know, when I go to work and whatever, I, I want the dog to do the work. I, you know, it's how I chill out is, you know, get out in the back paddock or something. You might have to walk your sheep in 10 kilometres to the yards or something and get out there with your dogs and just tick along on the motorbike and they do their job. You know, I don't want to tell them what to do every five seconds or whatever. I want them to hold up their wing or any pressure point or whatever. They they just take their position off my position and then um, hopefully we have a, have a great day. And, yeah. You know, of course, you take young dogs out there and things might go astray or whatever, but everyone's got to learn. Every person's got to learn. Every dog's got to learn. Um, and there's no perfect dog, no per perfect human, is there? So we've got to allow a few mistakes. Yeah, that's right. Um, Absolutely. So why do you trial? Um, I have fun. Yeah. I, I, I have fun, like I say. I... I, I, I enjoy the challenge between the stock and the dog and um and like i say i love having a few beers and back around and um later on and um you know you do get all all types of people there some people get very serious about their trying uh, their trials i've seen i've seen grown men sit in the car and sulk and grown men crying that when they didn't win the blue ribbon and i've seen people that have never got out of the first bloody nursery or encouraged that cast their dog for 30 meters and brought the sheep back was more happier than somebody who might have come second in a an australian championship or something so everyone gets different levels but um and like i say everyone goes there to win if you get the blue ribbon there's only one you know championship winner so uh, if we don't have our fun in between um, what's the what's the sense in it? Uh, and like, let's face it, we're all good winners. We're all yeah, good that's winners. right. But Greg Prince used to say to me, he said, "We're all good winners." But he said, he said, "What? He said, um, judge a person when they didn't win. That's when you mm. judge them, not when they're winning." <laughs> so I think Mark Mangold has a sorry, mate. What was that last bit? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Well, sorry, we just got a stack of questions come through, and I'm just we're just trying to be. Um, Mindful at a time as well. You can go um, for two or three hours. Don't worry, mate. <laughs> well, I know you and I could talk here all night, so yeah. Yeah, I might have to give Laura a Red Bull. <laughs> um, Mark Mangold has asked, uh, would there be a section in a trial that you'd like to see without any commands to showcase natural ability? For sure. For sure. Over in Western Australia. Yeah. They do. At the Kelpie trial, they said cast, lift and draw. Well, cast anyway for a start. You weren't allowed to um, talk to your dog. Which I think it should be everywhere, whether it's yep. or utility trial, anywhere. 
Um, and when this was put on, I, I saw dogs that I thought were natural casting dogs, were terrible yeah. casting dogs, when about 10 metres or 20 metres on a 220 metre cast pull up. Yep. Or just run direct to the sheep. So, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. There were a couple of do a few dogs there that I thought were good casting dogs, but they weren't good natural casting dogs at all. So, uh, you know, I, I'd love to see that. Uh, a, um, and it is in three sheep trials. The judges say they want to see a free running cast. So, so if someone's talking to their dogs all the time and sort of pushing them on, oh, you've got to see it. Every, every case is different. There's, yeah, there's sort of got to be a perfect cast and there's got to be casts that aren't so perfect. Yep. So and, I think I think um, you with your cast lift uh, with your lift and draw it can be a bit hard. I think you've got to be able to help your dogs a bit there, but you know certainly the cast I think should be uh, your mouth closed. Talking about your mouth, Mark said he's coming to your school in October. What beer should he bring with him? Oh, any beer, mate, buddy. Whatever you like to drink, mate, I'll help you drink it. <laughs> That's if he can come. <laughs> No, I'll even I'll, I'll even shout shout a few. I'll, I always shout a cart at my schools Sunday afternoon. So was that a pallet or a carton? Carton. Oh, carton, carton. Maybe I just thought I'd just clarify it. Maybe two. Yeah, happy days. No, look, look, just talking on that point. Yeah, you know, most people go to a school, and I, I just went when I'm running a school. I just want it to be fun. I want people to relax, enjoy themselves, have a laugh, enjoy their dogs. And I find, you know, you bring a carton of beer or a few drinks out at about three o'clock on Saturday afternoon, the whole mood changes. And then suddenly everybody's relaxing, having a good time. And what we're there for to, you know, get in and work our dogs and just relax and have fun. And that's what it's all about. If we're not having fun, we shouldn't even be doing it, should we? 100%. Yeah. And like even over in America, I've got them trained over there that bloody <laughs> margaritas start at three o'clock. Yeah, right. Yeah. With or without the umbrella? Uh, doesn't matter. We, the last one we had, we had about four different varieties. They were pretty bloody good. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, no, it's supposed to be fun. And like, we're all like-minded people. We like dogs. So let's just enjoy them and have fun. I don't want anyone to stress out about getting in a ring in front of me or anything like, um, yeah. I, I, you know, a lot of people get in the round yard and get totally phased out. And like, I've been in the same situation. I remember. Uh, when I first got in the round yard, I didn't know a thing about him, and I was down at Greg's, and and I got in there, and Greg said, "What are you doing?" I said, "I don't know." <laughs> I, I I just felt awkward for a hell of a long time, and I under fully understand why other people do. But you don't have to have a round yard, like I say. You can have a square yard. It's whatever suits you. Um, you know, if people get their knickers in a knot sometimes about a round yard or whatever. But anyway, whatever whatever do, makes you happy. Do you always have a yard? Yeah. And the reason I start dogs off in a round, in any smaller yard is because they learn to handle you in closer terms, and they learn to handle stock in closer terms. Yeah. Um, and so I've seen dogs that plenty of dogs are broken in outside, and then they come into a smaller area, or they have to be close into a sheep, like at an obstacle or something. They just don't know how to handle it. So yeah. you break them in there, but it's it's a lot a lot of a lot of people like to break them in outside because they don't end up putting much pressure on them themselves. 
it takes out that factor. But, you know, you've got to be very mindful about our positioning and how much pressure we put on them. Like I, like I say, you don't force a dog to work. You just place the pressure in a certain area that they they see that pressure point and make the decision themselves. You don't hunt them or anything. You just put put that block in a certain area. And like wherever I put that block or body position, it, they've got enough time to react to it before it's just not suddenly put in front of them. It's it's it, They've got time to react to that pressure point. So I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm a bit lazy and my dog kennel's up near my house. So a lot of my training is like, Unlet, let a dog out of a, out of its pen and just move sheep around around my house around the front paddock um just purely because i i'm a bit lazy to grab them and take them down to my yards to be honest but uh it is something yeah. that, you know, I, I just go yeah I, I do need to get this dog in a round yard to get it going around a bit more you know um yeah but i bet you at some stage you've done a few basics and whatever in a smaller area yeah, I always I like to use fences and corners a lot. Um, yeah, you know, yeah obstacles, whether it's a tree or something. So, 100%. yeah, no, it's a sort of sort of the same thing. It's but um, and you you've got good broken sheep, I bet. So yeah, yeah, one, one of the one of the main ingredients is to have sort of quieter sheep that you can get into position and um, they're not knocking your dog around or whatever. I know some people that um, say, oh, you know can't have quiet sheep and they can be too quiet and whatever and you know for starting off yeah uh, you, you want to have a little bit of movement when you're first getting their instinct out so it creates that instinct to come out but um you can you know after that yeah my my sheep are that quiet and i've had the same training weathers for over three years yep and um so you know but look i'm lucky i can yeah 11 or 12, 13 months or whatever, I can take them out and they've got <laughs> thousands of wild ones to work. So I haven't got, you know, it's not as though they're stuck on quite cheap all the time. That's a go. Yep. Um, question come through here. What's your favourite dog trial you've been to? Oh, geez. Um, well, obviously, I love the National Kelpie Trial. I try to go to it every year because um, it goes from state to state every year and you catch up with people from everywhere, all over Australia, once a year at whatever state. So love the Kelpie Trial and I love Melrose State Championship, South Australian Utility Championships over in Melrose, South Australia. Um, now... It's good fun because you sit around the campfire all day because it's usually freezing. <laughs> of course, the esky's right there and you go out and you have good fun. Um, it's a fantastic venue, like one of the most, I think it's the most picturesque ground I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And the committee and whatever just do an absolutely magnificent job. And like I say, I just like the camaraderie and the friendship over there, like, like um, it's a lot more relaxed than in New South Wales. Uh, New South Wales, we, a lot of, lot, everybody, you know, we all sort of might get a bit, might get a bit uptight sometimes and whatever. We've got to win that gold chain, <laughs> watching gold chain and whatever, and it's a lot more serious in New South Wales. Over there, yeah. it's just, um, yeah, have a great time. Go, hey, have a go with your dog. If you do any good, that's good. If you don't, you don't. <laughs> so it's just fun. It's just fun. And what do you feel is your greatest achievement so far, mate? Um, on the trial ground. Anyway, you tell oh, me. 
Oh, my three kids. Yeah, oh, well, there you go. You answered that, right? <laughs> Hope Angela's no. watching that. <laughs> All your kids. No, no she, she said she wouldn't listen to me. She's going to watch it tomorrow, she said. <laughs> You're no. <awesome. laughs> um, on the trial ground, oh, look, I, I'd, I'd have to, well, because I love the National Kelpie Trial, my, my five wins there. Um, yep. but, but my favourite one, that was at the 50th anniversary. And the fact that, um, like I said, my dad's 88, eight, nearly 89. Um, Carl Carlin uh, was very, very kind. He went 200 kilometres out of his way to come and pick dad up and take him down there on the Saturday. And the finals were on the Sunday. It was uh, a car call, right? Yeah, it was a car call. Yep, I remember uh, that. Yep. And, uh, and I had a pretty good trial and, you know, got three placings or something and uh, won it. And, uh, and the fact that dad was there, I was... Uh, yeah, it meant a, meant a lot um, to me because I won it with a bitch called Chrissy that had, he actually started off when he was still working dogs. Yep. And um, mum got sick and they had to move into town and I, I think I got him at 11 months of age or something, but dad had started. Start, I started Chrissy and Jimmy and their brother and sisters. Um, so it was, yeah, it was... It was very special, and even in 2016, mum and dad were, because it was at Ningham, we actually ran it, and when I won it there, mum and dad were there, so that was very special. And um, uh, another another one that I'm very, is um fella, he, he'd done his leg in, he'd had a $5,000 operation, he'd been out for 10 months, and his first trial back, I went to the National Three Sheep Trial at Canberra, which is, you know, the time-honoured trial in Three Sheep Trialling, and the yep. national and goes back to whoop whoop and um <clears throat> his first trial back he he came third there and only two dogs that beat him and two handlers had only three or four months before represented australia against the new zealanders over in um new zealand yeah well. so i was pretty pretty happy with that and you know though billy davison and greg prince were the two handlers and um am i allowed to say another one if you like Oh, I I was runner up for the New South Wales Championships three sheep trialing too, which you know I'm talking about a Kelpie in a in a border collie world, and I had a run off for first place and um, and lost it by the point in the run off. So yeah, and that was with Felon. He was only a really young dog at that stage, and um, yeah, so they were they were they were all fun. They're all very fond in my memories. What do you think your sweet spot is? You mentioned fellow being young. What do you think your sweet spot is for a trialling dog? Oh, it depends on each different dog. Look, I think Kelpies are a bit slower maturing than Collies. Like, you know, Collies sort of three or four or five, really. But, you know, a lot of the Collie, um, Kelpies sort of, before they probably settle down a bit more or whatever, they might be five, six, seven. Yeah. Um, but they're talking about that fella, like I took him to Molong the year before, or whatever. Like I honestly just took him to um, give him a run, and he he just sort of was though he was an old dog and done it before. And I think he won the novice there by about nearly fifty points, and then then went back the next year, or whatever. I think it was the next year, whatever. And then I think he had, I think he had four. He had a top that Saturday when the finals were on. I think he had his top twenty running. He improve a final run he had his top six final run and then a runoff like all in yeah. about three hours and so anyway that's sort of yeah not anyway he was a, he was a pretty consistent dog mate you must be pretty proud of him oh yeah no he was a 
what what he was what he was he was a um terrific station dog he was just a dog from the time i took him out he sort of it was as though he knew where the gates were and where we were supposed to be going he just sort of was a la natural as though he'd you know been there 10 years before and um he he sometimes got judged out on the ground by not by judges but um other people saying oh he's a bit soft or whatever but um he was a dog that only ever put on pressure when he had to and he just had beautiful feel on stock and he, he was a dog that for station work and that and he he could um he could jerk it into weathers or whatever he was sort of he only only just used what he had to all the time i never saw him stood up by anything whether it be rams or whatever but then you walk around the ground and people say oh that yeah that dog's pretty soft or whatever and i said that's just his feel he but anyway that's the way it is that's the way it is so um yeah there's there, people People really don't know other people's dogs because they're not working with them all the time. And um, I, even, even with judging, you know, like I, I've been lucky enough to um, judge every, all, well, just about all the big tri uh, three sheep trials in Australia. Like I judged the Supreme and the, and the Commonwealth Championships, the National Championships at Canberra, uh, the Australian Championships. And after I judged, I, I, I you, you sit around the trials a bit and whatever and we all judge the other judges but after i started judging and doing a few you know i never even judge all the other judges it's sort of it's a total different perspective and you you might look away for 10 seconds when you're bloody sitting on the sideline and miss that much so you know it's uh it's um yeah i i just don't judge any other judges that's all between judging the thing you've had um, as a young fellow and growing up and training people, which do you think has made you a better handler? Oh, God. the whole lot combined. Yeah. I'll tell you what, judging trials, you learn so much and see so much that, like I just said, that from the yeah. sideline you do not see. Um, yeah, I, I think I think judging is a great way to actually see exactly how it should be done or should not be done or whatever and look i've just been lucky like like i say dad dad was always sort of helping me out and oh i've learned i've learned a lot of things off heaps of different people and i hope i keep on learning heaps more off a lot more people i if i had a dream life i'd i'd like to go to every good trainer in australia in the world and spend a week with them and yeah. um, that's never going to happen but um everyone's got different methods we're all aiming for the same thing but everyone's got a slight variation in their methods and um I, you know I, I try to i hope i i'm a bit of a slow learner to tell you the truth but i have to think about things for two or three months before it sinks in and um you know i i'd like to yeah there's plenty to learn out there it sort of just gets more and more involved all the time if five uh, copy um, championship field trial champions under your belt, if you're a slow learner, I hate to see what you're going to achieve when you start hitting 80, mate. Oh, jeez. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I won't be getting around then. I'll be bloody. I won't be like old Kevin Yeah, mate. He's 79 now and he's as sharp as he ever was, mate. I, I, I reckon I'll be in the nursing home by then. <laughs> he's a competitor, mate. He doesn't give up and uh, he always has a crack out. I'll take my hat off to him. Like I just love actually watching Kevin, just his determination. And he can start with the worst two minutes of a trial and end up on top. Like, and I just think that's a great um, quality to be able to have, you know, that 
never say die attitude and, and keep going. Yeah, he's the yeah. ultimate, ultimate competitor. Ultimate yeah. competitor. Um, he, yeah, he he puts it all all heart and soul into him. Good on good on him. And um, yeah, sort of every and I over the years have had a help heap of good battles. And yeah. um, and uh, there was a rumor a couple of years ago that he was going to retire and that. And I, I felt all sad because you know I love going to the thing and. Yeah, watching him work and having a crack against him and whatever. So, but he didn't retire, so it was good. No, very good. Uh, question here from Kane Gardner. Do you like the concept of the USD trials and would you ever do those type of trials yourself? Yeah, I think they're I think they're a great concept and whatever. And yeah, I'd I'd do them myself and whatever. Um I haven't been to one yet, but the time's coming. Time's definitely coming. Um, I, I do I do a bit of cattle work and whatever. And to tell you the truth, I, I find it's just a good fun day when you're doing your cattle work, a good fun day for the dogs and whatever. They, you know, they can just be dogs. They, you know, not so, not so much of a flight zone or whatever. If they get in a bit close or whatever, they you know, can get a kick up the guts or whatever. And, but anyway, uh, it's just fun for them. I, I, find, I just find it takes all the stress out of them, out of the dogs. It's just, yeah kids in the playground it's just fun and yeah as long as i sometimes put my hand over my eyes and don't watch too closely and whatever because you know there's <laughs> um some very valuable dogs in the dog world can get um bold yeah get seriously injured by cattle and away from drinking beer mate do you have any um hobbies or hidden talents that people probably wouldn't know about you Oh, mate, I'm passionate about my football, the Mighty Dragon, 16 premierships and more to come. <laughs> I was hoping it'll be something else about the Dragons. I, I think Parramatta have won four premierships, haven't they? No comment. <laughs> yeah. No, so look, look, it's a battle It's a battle on the weekends, actually, um, whether I train my dogs or watch the footy. And um, footy wins out most of the time. But... Um, um, yeah, no, I do love do love my football, and that's proper football, not that southern bloody stuff. <laughs> that aerial ping pong. Yeah. <laughs> what would you like to see on the Dog Talk website, or what can we um, do to service our listeners and community? Uh, the first complaint I've got is that you've got to have Dog Talk five days a week now that football's over, <laughs> and instead of just going for an hour, you've got to go for two hours. Um, now I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I've sort of I was frantic that first night when I couldn't get logged in or whatever. And I <laughs> about twenty minutes late, and yeah, I sort of, <laughs> I, you know, I, I really love it. And thanks a lot for doing it. And I, I think it's great. And yeah, I, I can't get enough of it personally. And um, like you said, Daniel, I can talk dogs for a long time, and so can you, and a lot of yeah. other people can too. But um, great concept, and um, well done to both of you. I hope it continues and it gets a, the, the support it should get. Thanks, mate. I'm not Thank sure. You. Not sure my coffee bill uh, would be able to sustain five days a week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sort of hard to, hard to keep awake some days during the day as it is. Uh, uh, but no, no, totally appreciate how much you actually appreciate it. So fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, to highlight them. Thursday, Friday nights used to be, but it's gone now. So it's definitely Tuesday nights. <laughs> Is there one person you'd like to see us sit down and do a Q and A with? 
Um, actually, I, I've got three or four names. Um, right. I reckon you should try to get them before they fall off the perch. Um, well, look, Tony McCallum. Yep. Um, I've talked to him on the phone a few times or whatever, going back a bit and whatever. He spent a lot of time over in America and whatever. I see him comment on Facebook or whatever every now and again, and uh, everything he says or writes or whatever is so articulate. And Yeah, he I, is, isn't I, he? I, I just think he's fantastic with a lot of things he says and whatever. And I think he might have been the commentator at Tamworth, was he, on the cattle dog trial? Oh, I'm not sure. But I agree with I rang him up for something away from... Um, Kelpies or working dogs, and two and a half hours later, we're like, um, what was that other question again? So I totally get what you mean there about um, articulate, mate. He, um, he definitely looks deep in inside yeah. a, a dog's head. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think he, I think you know, a few of these older fellas. And look, you, you got Pippi Hudson out there, um, yeah. who will absolutely entertain everyone for <laughs> five five weeks if you got the time. Uh, yeah, and and you could get you could get Pip on there, you could get Mick on there. Like you got actually, there's four generations of Hudson Hudsons that have been in the trial game, and yeah, all come stockmen, all grew up as stockmen and whatever. And you could get you could get three generations in one go with you know Pip and Mick and Harry and whatever or who else and yeah, whether you could work that or not. And another two other fellows I'll mention. Um, Jeff Gibson from up in um, Queensland. Um, Robert Johnson the other night mentioned a bloke called Les Armstrong. Yep. Uh, now, Les Armstrong was an absolute legend. Any walk on the moon? No, he didn't. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, he didn't. But um, no, he was an absolute legend with a dog. And what he couldn't do with a dog was, you know, not worth worrying about. And um, <clears throat> um, I'm pretty sure that Jeff Gibson was. You know, one of his, I will spend a fair bit of time with him and a bit of a protege. So I think if you ask him about Les or whatever, he gets some interesting information. And, you know, he's represented Australia, I don't know how many times against New Zealand. Um, and also Johnny Perry down at Breadbow. Uh, yeah. Um, he's Captain Australia, whatever, and he's been a great dog man, but he, he, he was a shearing contractor and, you know, he's done, he done this and that and whatever. I think he'd be a good interesting talk and um yeah i think you try to get a few of these older fellas be yeah well we can yeah. actually just um then when you mentioned the hudson's um who i might be watching there tonight uh g'day boys how you going and girls um wayne mcmillan asked the question here is your family related to the famous victorian trial handler thomas white who was a dominant trialer in the 1920s and 30s no no huh? but no, but we're related to Harry White, the famous jockey. Yeah, right, yeah. No, we're not. Go. No. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Got me. Hook on a sinker. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, no, I'm not no, a horse person no, by no, any no. means, mate. But I will tell you tell you something interesting. When I was a young fellow and that, because mum and dad and, you know, a few other people and whatever ran the Australian Three Sheep Championships at Ningen for years and years and years. And I'm talking about the 60s and early 70s and whatever. And... Um, you know, there are a few of the household names from back there. I can, I can remember the blokes like Jeff Jolly. Like, I was only tiny, but I can remember Jeff Jolly and a bloke called, um, um, what's the name, Marshall, Billy Marshall. You know, there was all these household names there, and and I can remember there. It's a pity sort of dad sort of couldn't come and have a talk about them, but I just don't think it 
might happen. Um, but yeah, so like I say, our family holidays way back then was um, going to a dog trial, um, which I used to love. So I got I got the dog wog real early, and, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, a lot of those. And and Dad always says, Dad always told me, uh, Jeff Jolly was the top of the top of the tree back in his day, and um, then when Greg Prince come along, you know, like. I think Dad regarded, you know, Jeff and Greg the two two outstanding ones, but there's been a hell of a lot of bloody good ones in between. And yeah. Still uh, talking about trainers, mate, and coming around, Belinda Halliwell has asked, have you got any upcoming clinics and the best way to find out about them? Well, I have got one coming up in Forbes the end of October, near the end of October, but um, until the borders open up or whatever it's sort of hard to get back down to i know i know belinda and um um yeah if she's come to one of my schools but it's hard to until borders reopen and whatever to really put anything down not many people are interested doing schools over the summer months either um especially when christmas is coming around or whatever and and uh, anyway look you just have to we we a lot of times now put them on our our what's copy stud page um yes. just advertise them there or whatever but um so yeah but like i say until the till the borders open and whatever and it's a bit hard to plan in like in the state yeah 100 percent um so it's sort of that time of night now where we asked you to pick the best question oh i'm flat out remembering it can you jog my memory a bit Oh, There's a fair few questions come through. Um, if you sort of have a rough idea, I can go through and find that person's name. Who was who was the lady who asked about the dog going into the corner? Amanda Dunbar. Yep. Yep. About the dog in the corner. You said your memory was shit. Sorry. You said your memory was shit. You, sna- you smashed it. That's exactly oh, what it was. Yeah, but I'm a senior, and I had to think about it. <laughs> Um, Amanda, if you could uh, message the page with your contact details and we'll get that bag of dog food to you. Um, also, um, while we've still got everyone around, um, we're going to have to actually try something a bit different next week. Um, Laura and I are going to be on the road. Um, so what we're going to do, we're actually going to try and have our first international guest on. So uh, Laura okay. Heinekens from She Shepherds in the UK. So to do that, we're going to have to do it a bit different, obviously, because it won't be able to be live with the time differences. So um, we're going to, how are we going to do that, Laurie? We're going to set up on our Facebook and um, obviously you can email through questions that you have for her and um, we'll be asking them in our pre-recorded uh, chat with her. So if you're not familiar with Laura, um, She Shepherds in the UK is her Facebook page. Um, she's got a lot of coll- well, very well-handled collies on that ISDS line and um, she's got some very good YouTube videos there and, this seems like a real nice um, girl to get on chat, and she's got a story behind her as well. So, um, yeah, get on board. Don't be shy. If you've got something to say, guys, or some questions, um, shoot them to us because we're not mind readers and we don't know what you want to hear. So, otherwise, you might just hear Laura and myself <laughs> bumbling on. So, don't be afraid to shoot through your questions. Hey, well, I've still got you. Well yeah. done on your mental health raising money what is oh. black, dog, black dog institute um well done on that and um hope everyone's contributing 
No, thanks, mate. While you um, actually put that out there, I want to actually put out a big thanks. So I've actually personally exceeded my own target, but not only that, I think we've nearly tripled the target we set um, and would like to thank uh, Natalie Grimma, Marie McKillop joined on. In the last um, week, we've also had um, Lauren Vest, Jake Nowlin. We have raised uh, well over the, I can get up the exact amount now, but it's well over $2,000, close to the three. Um, let me find I think that. we actually had another, someone else jumped on board today. I didn't see that one. Well, we've raised $2,800, which is well above our target, so thank you, everyone. Yeah, really appreciate that. And I've, uh, I was on the 10th of the way for my walk, so I'll keep going. Hey, listen, I've got an idea. Fire away. For the girls, buddy. Yeah, you know, this bloke who wanted me to say, like, Chris Egan, you'd probably get him on board and he loves to. You probably get him on board. I'll tell you what, if you get him on board, I'll give him more money. I'll give $100, get him on board and walking, okay? With his shirt off. There you go, Chris. I'm sure with his shirt off. There you go. <laughs> well, Chris will be watching there tonight, so there you go. You want to get see Gary give a green one away? Um, there you go, mate. You just want to see a couple of um, Snapchats with you doing <laughs> doing your walk with your shirt off, mate. And uh, I will hold you there, Gary. Um, how I'm many gonna... green ones do you take your shirt off, Gary? Oh, geez, bloody two million. No one, <laughs> no one wants to see that at all. <laughs> nah, very cool. Um, I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in tonight and our listeners that will be listening back later. Um, thank you so much. And one last question, Gary. Would you rather fight one duck the size of a horse or 20 horses the size of ducks? Thought about this one. And <laughs> you would. I'm going to go the 20 horses the size of ducks because, you know, remember when you used to go to the show, and all the ducks used to go along the thing, and you go boom, 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 boom. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I'd, I'd go the 20, 20 horses the size of ducks. No, there you go, mate. You nailed it. And uh, like Laura said before, thanks to all our um, viewers tonight, and not just ones that watched it live, but people that are going to watch it back. Um, keep your questions coming. We, um, without you guys, your guys' input, we don't know what you want to hear or see. So. Um, you're, this is for you guys, so um, speak up, be heard. On that note, please remember we learn every day and the day we stop learning from each other will be a sad day. Good night. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you very much.